Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5. KPL, glad to be with y'all here today. It's a very pleasant spring, almost summery day outside, a bit on the warm side, but nonetheless, uh, it is pleasant. It's nice outside. I hope that uh, you get a chance to enjoy the outdoors. I want to start today on a very serious and it's not a fun topic to talk about, but you know, you have all the news of the day that goes on and, and we can sit down and talk about that over and over and, and we can continue talking about Roe versus Wade. I will talk about that again later on in the show, but there is something that I've, I've mentioned in passing before, but I really want to dive a little bit deeper into today. But before I can dive into the issue today, I need to take you back about 21 years. Um, this is a deeply personal story. So I uh, apologize if that's not your jam. Just hear me out for a minute. Good Lord, it's been 21 years. On September 11th, 2001, most of America woke up to the news, or they didn't wake up, but they they saw early on in the morning the news of a terror attack in New York City in Washington, D.C. Hours before that, I woke up on my own, actually. Normally, my dad would wake us up early in the mornings like this. And he didn't this morning. Uh, Around 7 o'clock, I woke up, which is weird because normally we're woken up about 6.15, 6.30 most mornings. I woke up on my own at seven, which was weird. And as I was getting up and kind of getting dressed and everything, I heard my dad's voice from downstairs telling me to come downstairs. I go downstairs and my brother and my sister are sitting on the couch. Uh, I'm told to sit down with them. My dad is sitting on the edge of the coffee table in front of us. And he tells us that my grandmother, his, his mother had died overnight and she had taken a gun and, and shot herself. And it was my first experience dealing with depression and suicide as a, as a subject in my own life. I, it's always been kind of far away. You don't really know about it, understand. I was in middle school at the time. Don't really understand it. Don't really get it until it happens in your own life to somebody that you know and love. And my grandmother was one of my favorite people in the world. Um, I was her first grandchild. She was the grandmother that we went to on numerous occasions. If we were sick, my parents worked. She she would be kind of the place where we would go. Uh, one day a week, we'd get off the school bus at her house because of just the schedule of extracurriculars and all that. And this was a very, very abrupt change in my life. Later in life, I started to recognize the symptoms of depression in my own life, never have had suicidal thoughts, but I understand the feelings of depression. And I was medicated for a while, and and but you know, currently am not. But I understand what's happening in the head of of in the heads of the people who are suffering from depression. I understand the lengths that depression can drive people to. And I can tell, for, for me, the, the worst of it is on the weekends. I'm so busy during the week that I don't have time to just sit there and be alone in my thoughts. But 
sometimes on a low-key weekend, there's nothing else going on, I do find myself getting immersed in those thoughts, in, in those depressed thoughts. And that was during a relatively normal time in my adult life. I'm talking the last, you know, five, six years. Um, as, as, you know, recently as, as three years ago, it was kind of bad. Every, every now and then it still gets kind of bad, but, you know, the, the worst of it was, a, you know, a, a few years ago. And then two years ago, a pandemic hits and it forces us all to stay in our houses and it closes down schools and it keeps us home. And we are isolated from society because of the shutdowns and everything else. We are, as a society, not maybe not necessarily you, maybe not necessarily your family, but we as a society are collectively cut off from everybody else. And for our students, they are at home. They do not get to see their friends. They are not in school. They are staring at computer screens, staring at their phone screens. They're isolated. They don't get their social and emotional engagement throughout the day anymore because they are isolated. And even last year, locally we had hybrid uh, schedules, so kids were at home every other day, not every day, but they were still at home and not really with their friends. And of course, the social distancing measures made socialization a lot more difficult. I want to read for you, read to you right now, just a few headlines. Uh, James Madison cancels rest of softball season after catcher Lauren Burnett's suicide. Family speaks out about pressures that led star college runner Sarah Schulze to take her own life at 21. Stanford University soccer star player died by suicide, parents tell NBC. More than 200 sailors moved off aircraft carrier after multiple suicides. American teens are sad, the Atlantic. The rate of depression and the rate of suicide has jumped dramatically since the pandemic. And it's not just the pandemic. There's all sorts of social and emotional issues going on in society right now. But we do have an epidemic of depression, an epidemic of suicide, and we do really need to look very hard at the root causes of these things. We're going to go ahead and take a break. If you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24 hours a day, 1-800-273-8255. We're going to take a break. When we come back here on the Joe Cunningham Show, we're going to talk about these mental health issues and what's pulling our teens, our college athletes, even people in our armed services down. Talk about that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Glad to be with y'all today on this subject, which is a, a very, it's an intense subject. And it, it is deeply personal to me. I told you guys the story in the last segment, but it is uh, not just because of that, but also because of the fact that I have spent the last nine years in education and I have come to 
to know several great kids, but many of them have struggled with these negative feelings uh, for a while. And some of them it is manifested in physical ways. Some of them it is just manifested in uh, emotional and social ways, but they do manifest. There is a piece from The Atlantic a few weeks ago, Why American Teens Are So Sad. The government survey of almost 8,000 high school students, which was conducted in the first six months of 2021, found a great deal of variation in mental health among different groups. But the big picture is the same across all categories. Almost every measure of of mental health is getting worse for every teenage demographic, and it's happening all across the country. Since 2009, sadness and hopelessness have increased for every race, for straight teens and gay teens, for teens who say they've never had sex, and for those who say they've had sex with males and or females, for students in each year of high school, and for teens in all 50 states and the District of Columbia. So why is this happening? This is what the writer Derek Thompson asks. It's not any one thing you can trace. For example, it's not just bad behavior and, and you know, are kids getting in trouble or anything like that? In fact, as the writer points out, self-reported teen behaviors are moving in a positive direction. Since the 90s, drinking and driving is down almost 50%. School fights are down 50%. Sex before 13 is down more than 70%. School bullying is down. LGBTQ acceptance is up. A lot of the manifestations of sadness and depression are growing. Uh, Eating disorders, self-harming behavior, and teen suicides sharply up over the past 10 years. What happened 10 years ago? What happened in 2012? In 2012... That was the year when the share of Americans who owned a smartphone surpassed 50%. And mobile social media use began to spike. Social media plays a role in what's happening to our kids and the the college students that I mentioned uh, earlier. Social media is a social virus. Social media isn't like rat poison, this writer of The Atlantic points out, which is toxic to almost everyone. It's more like alcohol, a mildly addictive substance that can enhance social situations, but can also lead to dependency and depression among a minority of users. This is very close to the conclusion reached by none other than Instagram, the company's internal research from 2020 found that while most users had a positive relationship with the app, one-third of teen girls said Instagram made them feel worse, even though these girls feel unable to stop themselves from logging on. And if you don't believe a company owned by Facebook, believe a new study from Cambridge University, which researchers looked at 84,000 people of all ages and found social media was strongly associated with worst mental health during certain sensitive life periods, including girls ages 11 to 13. But it's not just the social media. 
what's also happening is that our actual physical social interaction is down. The pandemic didn't help, but it was actually on the decline before that. We stopped, as a culture, breaking bread with one another. We stopped visiting with our neighbors. We stopped being involved in each other's lives in a a positive way. Our social activity has decreased over the last several years. Our face-to-face interactions are down, but our social media and digital interactions are up. And the, the social media, the digital interactions are portraying the lives of the people that we care about in ways that are sometimes not honest. Social media paints a very different picture than what you actually experience in day-to-day life. And closing schools exacerbated this, particularly among uh, preteens and teens. All they had were their phones. And all they could do was look at social media and see other people out there doing things that they weren't allowed to do. And they were isolated from their friends and they couldn't have fun. They were going through their memories of the good times they had with their friends. They were looking at what the trends were on social media, TikTok, Instagram, and all that. And they were just being bombarded with the life they couldn't live. And you know what else? At the same time, they were also being bombarded with social engineering messages. They were also being bombarded with these armchair psychologists and and activists who were saying, well, you really don't feel like yourself, right? It's because there's other identities out there and you've been conditioned to think there's just two identities, male or female, there's others. You've been conditioned to think within the box, think outside the box. You're different. And the world doesn't like you. Kids are getting social engineering on the trans issue, on the LGBT issue, from activists on the internet who are not psychologists, who don't understand the damage they're actually doing to kids. Self-image is getting shattered because you see these very curvaceous women who have all these social media channels and all this popularity and all these followers and, and they just, just these absolutely beautiful people all over social media. And our teens like, I can't, I can't even aspire to that. And they just sink further and further down. Social media is painting a society that doesn't exist. It's painting culturally issues in a way that kids just can't attain. And as a result, our kids are getting more isolated, more depressed, and they are harming themselves. They're committing suicide. They're running away from home. We've got this story that, that we've been talking about uh, on, on KPL965.com, the sexploitation story, where teens, where, where our kids are being lured into sexually compromising photos and positions and even meetups with strangers because society has normalized a lot of these behaviors in such a way that the kids are just used to it. The kids are openly sending these pictures of themselves. They don't know who they're sending it to. It's a big deal. We're not healthy. I've said this before. We, as a society, 
are not healthy. And we have to do something to get ourselves healthy again. Break bread with your neighbors. Invite your neighbors over for dinner. Cook a pot of gumbo. Cook some jambalaya. Get some crawfish. Have a crawfish boil. Bring your neighbors over. Start interacting with the world around you in person, physically, not just through a text message or through social media. 232-1542. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to jump back to the Roe versus Wade stuff because there is an interesting data point from Politico, and I want to get into that when we come back right here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the show. You can also reach out to me on Twitter. Some of y'all have been doing that, at uh, Joe P. Cunningham on Twitter, uh, facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show, or you can email me joe at redstate.com if you've got a comment on anything I've, I've said today, over the last few days, since the show started, whatever. I'll, I'll gladly, uh, gladly respond to the comments you guys send in. So yesterday, of course, with the fallout of the big leak from the Supreme Court and the fact that it looks like Roe versus Wade could very well be overturned, uh, when the official Supreme Court opinion drops in June, uh, we have, I told you guys yesterday, a lot, I said it on Acadiana's Morning News with Bernie and Ian, and I also said it on this show yesterday afternoon. Some folks are really excited about how this could turn out the Democrat vote. And I'm, I told y'all yesterday, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced this is going to be a huge vote driver for the Democrats. And now, as if to prove my point today, uh, Politico has this piece out. The day after Supreme Court uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, Democratic donors poured more than $30 million into Democratic campaigns and groups through Act Blue, shattering its own one-day fundraising records. In the 23 hours after Politico reported a draft Supreme Court opinion that would overturn Roe v. Wade, Act Blue took in just $9 million, just a small uptick from the days prior. The modest totals, which reached $12 million by midnight on Tuesday, based on a Politico analysis of the Act Blue donation tracker, are an early sign the Democrats can't count on abortion to single-handedly turn around a midterm cycle that's already trending badly for them. Interviews with more than a dozen Democratic pollsters and strategists Tuesday detailed a scramble within the party to parse how the seismic disclosure might affect base enthusiasm and reshape messaging ahead of the midterms, now that a theoretical threat has become real. One Democratic pollster granted anonymity to discuss the issue candidly, acknowledged that the issue will help at the margins, but to hold the House and Senate, we need inflation to go away. It's also opening up a debate within the party about how much to lean into abortion as an animating message for the base rather than focusing primarily on the cost of living and job growth. Midterm voters, according to um, a Democratic strategist, care about affordability first and foremost, and they are not people who are worried every single day about losing access to abortion. My fear continues to be that sometimes we as Democrats run on things that we wish the voters cared about rather than what the voters do care about. Now, mixed in with this is a recent Fox News poll. Let me see if I can find it. I don't have it. I don't have the link with me currently. But Fox News is polling. And, and Fox News polling actually tends to favor Democrats more than some of the 
center-right and center-left polls do. Fox News typically oversamples Democrats and kind of skews toward the Democrats a little bit. Fox News polling shows that 56% of Americans wish for there to be some sort of abridging of abortion in the United States. The Democrats are currently out there touting numbers like 60% of Americans want access to abortion. And they say this is what the, and the Supreme Court's getting rid of, no, the Supreme Court's not getting rid of a right to abortion. It's important to remember that. If the Alito draft opinion stands, what the Dobbs case will do is it will revert abortion to a state issue. And so progressives need to go in and win at the state level, which they have not been doing in the last several campaign cycles. If you want access to abortion via the nine black-robed masters, you're going to lose access, uh, lose a constitutional right to abortion via nine black-robed masters. If you're not willing to win the the policy issue at the ballot box, you're never going to be guaranteed that victory because it's very hard to get rid of that statutory law. It's actually harder to get rid of that statutory law than it apparently is to overturn Roe versus Wade. All it takes is a Republican president that gets enough Supreme Court picks. But once something gets codified into law at the state level, it's very it's much harder to get rid of that at times. And there's something else. There's something else in this issue. The Democrats are running out of ideas on things to run on, on issues to run on. The abortion issue now comes up. But let's think about it. Inflation is a nightmare. Interest rates are up a tick again today, thanks to the Fed. We're still seeing supply chain issues. We're still seeing employment issues. We have more unfilled jobs now than we've ever had before. We have a lot of economic issues going on right now. And what is the Democratic Party doing? Right now, they're screeching about Roe versus Wade. They're screeching about abortion. You are more likely to know somebody in a gay marriage, in a gay relationship or gay marriage, than you are to know somebody who's had an abortion. It's just a fact. What was it? Uh, the stat I gave yesterday. In a country of 330 million people, I think last year only 880,000 have had an abortion. 880,000 abortions were had, I'm sorry. An incredibly small percentage. That's important. To understand how little the abortion issue actually affects voters on a day-to-day basis, nobody, really, very few people are aware of somebody in their own orbit who's had an abortion. And it's not taking abortion away. It's simply saying it's a state issue. Now, in places like Louisiana, there are trigger laws in place waiting for Roe versus Wade to be overturned so that abortion would be banned in the state. But then you have folks like uh, Yamisha uh, Alcindor, uh, formerly of PBS, now at NBC, 
who actually said women will have pregnancies that will turn into children. That's the actual, that's the quote. Pregnancies that will turn into children, as opposed to, I don't know, a pot of gold to get us through these tough economic times. If that were the case, let's do, let, you know, let, let's, let's have more kids, everybody, or let's, let's have more pregnancies, everybody. But no, all pregnancies are going to turn into children. I'm not a biologist. I can't tell you what gender the kid is when they come out, but I can tell you that pregnancies will turn into children if you let them go their natural route. If you don't impede it by having an abortion. And the other thing, you have a lot of very sarcastic uh, liberal activists who think they've got a gotcha moment when they say, well, if Republicans want to get rid of abortion, they also need to push for uh, fathers paying child support, even if they get a girl pregnant but don't want, to, uh, don't want to be in the kid's life. We need to go after men who are delinquent in that. We need to make sure that if you're a drunk driver and you hit a pregnant woman and you kill them, that's a double homicide. Hey, you know what? That's exactly what conservatives want. Oh, the horror. We might actually make men be fathers. My God, what a scary, scary situation. They don't understand. They, they, they want to say that Republicans only care about life in the womb, but not outside of the womb. There, there's a big push right now for Democrats to convince Republicans that they need to support more welfare, more social benefits because they're getting rid of abortion. No, what we need to do is refocus our efforts on the important things. Like, is there a father that's in the kid's life taking care of the child at the very least through child support payments? And are we going after them when they're delinquent in it? And are we actually pushing fatherhood in this country? Because if we're not doing that, we're not actually doing the pro-life thing properly. Because that's how you get the best lives. And you know what? Having two active parents in a child's life, that's also going to help bring those depression and suicide rates down as well, because you come from a happier, healthier family in that case. 232-1542, let's take a break. When we come back, let's talk about a little bit of the state legislature. I haven't talked about the, le the legislature enough. Let's go into some of their issues when we come back here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Before I get into uh, some of the legislative stuff, I do want to mention uh, tonight in Baton Rouge at the Renaissance Hotel, Moon Grafon is going to be a keynote speaker at the Hayrides uh, fundraiser dinner. And if you're going, that's fantastic. You, you absolutely should. It's always a great event. I was very upset that I couldn't go this year or I couldn't go to this particular event. It, it, I think it's a couple times a year McKay does it over there. Um, but I wasn't able to go this time. I'm very upset about that. And I would love to be there. I would love to be sitting at the table just like, you know, flipping the bird to Moon uh, while he's talking, which he said that he would absolutely uh, invite me to do. Uh, but I, I typically go to these things. I, I get to go to them because I've, I've contributed uh, at the Hayride before. I really need I, – I have too many places where I'm supposed to be writing, and I just don't have the bandwidth for it sometimes. Um but, uh, you know, the Hayrides held a couple of events here in Lafayette in the past. And it's not actually that, uh, it's not actually that profitable to have it here. Because this is probably the heart of conservatism in the state of Louisiana, the Acadiana area. 
it would make perfect sense for a conservative news and opinion site like the Hayride to have those events here. The problem is it, you, it, the area doesn't raise money very well for things like that. It, it's nothing against you guys here. It's not me begging you for money to go to the Hayride. That's not actually going to benefit me all that much because I haven't written there in a while. But I need to tell you from uh, from the perspective of somebody who works in conservative media, not just here, but like my years at Red State. Progressives get their websites up and going uh, because they have private money that comes in and they are act it's activist money. They push for that money to go out and move the political football, move it down the field and win battles on, on the rhetorical side. Conservative news outlets are largely corporate structure. And if there is private money involved, it's always big private money that wants to see a return on investment. Because, you know, the you know, conservatives tend or business people, uh, big money people tend to be a little more center right. Uh, and and they want to see, you know, they want to see their investment bring something back to. We don't have anybody that's just throwing money at websites just to get them to run and, 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 and advance the agenda. I write at Red State. It, it started out as an independent website. It was then owned by Eagle Publishing, uh, who then sold to Town Hall Media, who itself uh, is now part of the Salem Media family. There's a big corporate structure there. Uh, the Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire, big corporate structure there. Lots of money. They get a ton of money to uh, to do all these wonderful projects that they do. Breitbart, very corporate structure. A lot of revenue-based stuff. The left doesn't worry about revenue. The left is worried about advancing the football. So, you know, I, I really do think that Lafayette could be a, an excellent place for the Hayride to come and host its dinners and, you know, maybe get Moon to, you know, be local giving a speech at a Hayride dinner here. But it, it requires... Uh, more folks on the right who are donating money to the causes that advance the right agenda. And again, not me begging for money, not me begging for you to send money to the Hayride, but just just food for thought uh, as we go forward in this. Now, speaking of advancing the agenda, let's talk about some of the things that have been in our newscast uh, regarding the state legislature. We've got the transgender athlete bill that is now going to uh, the full house and that's going to be up for a vote you're very likely going to see Edwards overrule over uh, or veto that. I don't know that the Republicans have the bandwidth at this point to pull off another veto override, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, again, this is an issue that is largely in line with the protect our uh, daughters movement from, uh, you know, from biological males that are competing with an unfair advantage in, in female sports. You know, it, it's also, um, We've we've had this our Louisiana's version of the "Don't Say Gay" bill, which went a few steps further than Florida's bill, and in, and in some ways it kind of worried me a little bit. But that's now dead. It was killed in a House Education Committee seven to four. I think if they had been a little more restrained on that and really just followed the Florida law as as to the letter as possible, what they did was they expanded the age range on it a good bit. And they also made it a lot more vague as to what teachers can and can't say in the classroom. And so it, it just kind of, it, to me, it, it causes a little bit of worry. I'm In general, I was for the, the Florida Parental Rights and Education Act, but I think the Louisiana bill went a couple steps further. And I don't know why, but it, that's what the, the, the lawmakers wanted to do, and it ended up not going anywhere. 
There's the other one that was in the newscast that I just think is a funny proposition. And that is the, the handheld phone thing. I wish I had the bandwidth to care about the phone thing. I, I, I wish I had the bandwidth to say phones are, are a menace in our cars and they're causing all these accidents. I don't. I, I, I'm sorry. I don't think phones are that big of a threat. They cause some accidents, but getting rid of the texting and having that as a law has carved a lot of that. And y'all, I'm sorry. I don't like speakerphone. I hate speakerphone. If somebody calls and I see it pop up on the screen of my car, I will still most of the time pick up the phone and say hello. One, I don't like my conversations being public. That's that's the trend for a lot of people now. They want to walk around in public with their phone like lying flat in their palm with the speaker on so they're, they're, everybody else can hear their conversation. I don't want to be part of it. Even in the privacy of my own car, if I've got just my wife and my kids in there with me, I maybe I, I want to just not shout the conversation. It's just very, very, I, it's one of those fights. I don't know why we're picking this fight right now. I don't, we, we've picked this fight every now and then. Uh, but then of course, what's next? Are we going to, um, are we going to stop people from eating burgers in their car? Is that going to be the next one? Okay. We've already shut down one Chick-fil-A in town. That was a traffic nightmare, but it's going to open up elsewhere. But you know, are, do we need to shut down more Chick-fil-A's across the nation because they are, you know, leading to traffic problems. Like, where does this end? Are we going to go after everything that can cause an accident? Because there's a lot of things worse than talking on a phone that will cause accidents. And you can't legislate it all away. We're trying to over-legislate here. That's why I went off on the thing about the electric vehicle fee the other day. That, to me, is insane. Why do we need to raise, why, why do we need to raise fees off of electric vehicle owners why do we need this tax? You're just trying to find money from, we're over-legislating the issue of the gas tax, basically. I don't understand that. I don't. I stop, stop over-legislating. We have too much on the books as it is. We, we need to step back. I, I'm perfectly fine with a legislative body that just sits there for 60 days with their arms crossed and does nothing. I might be happier with that, actually. I'll also be happy in 23 hours. When we come back here on the Joe Cunningham Show, in the meantime, Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Check out the podcast version of the show, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow when I come back right here on KPL 96.5.